United Soccer Coaches is proud to bring you the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast, covering all aspects and all levels of the game we love. The United Soccer Coaches podcast is presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer announcer Dean Linky, the longtime television and podcast voice of the association. Now, here's Dean with this week's show. When we say we try to cover all levels of soccer on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, we mean it. Hello, everybody. I'm Dean Linke, and we got a big show today. We start out talking high school soccer. Greg Malk, who was a former manager for the Godfather at Indiana, is now the longtime high school coach at Canterbury High School in Fort Wayne, Indiana. They're playing soccer right now. Hopefully, they can get a season in. Greg Malk, high school soccer will kick it off. After Greg... A new leadership partnership in Kansas City Youth Soccer has begun. Two KC Youth Soccer Clubs have come together at the leadership level to explore positive changes in our communities and will be joined by Dan Naidu with KCSG, that's Kansas City Scott Gallagher, and Matt Trump with two Ps of Toka FC and their relationship collaborative effort. I think you'll like that from the youth soccer level. Behind the leadership of Nicole Hercules, who is the chair of the Black Coaches Advocacy Group for United Soccer Coaches, we continue the dialogue today with Chelsea Patterson, one of just a handful of black women soccer coaches at the D1 level. She's the assistant coach at the University of Houston, and you'll like our conversation with Chelsea. After that, we pop in on the Rutgers Scarlet Knights men's soccer team, now in a second season, Jim McKeldry is joined by a Rutgers Hall of Famer, a U.S. Soccer Hall of Famer, and arguably one of the best coaches to ever come out of the U.S. soccer system, talking about sporting KC's Peter Vermees. That's right, Jim McKeldry and Peter Vermees talking Rutgers Scarlet Knights, and we meet two more members of our 30 Under 30 class, Kyle Smith and Sarah Leiby. And it starts after this message from our presenting sponsor, Team Snap. Does managing your club or league feel like a second job? If so, you might need some help. With Team Snap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com slash NSCAA1. I am Dean Linky, and as I said, we're kicking off talking high school soccer. That's right, in Indiana, they're already playing, and we're joined by a good friend to the United Soccer Coaches, Greg Mouk, who's the immediate past president for the Indiana High School Soccer Coaches Association, and he is the top man for Canterbury High School. Again, already playing right there in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Is that right, Fort Wayne? Yes, it sure is. All right, Greg. Well, first off, great to be with you, and... Obviously, we're dealing with unprecedented times, but good on you, good on Indiana. I'm assuming all the safety and protocol and procedures were followed that allowed you and your boys to play, right? Absolutely. Each school is making their requirements known to the teams in advance. We just played down at North Central. I won't discuss the results, but uh, there were no benches. There were chairs six feet apart, four rows of chairs. Players picked one, had to wear a mask off the field, but they were socially distanced even on the bench. Even during the warm-ups until you got to the more strenuous activity, you were wearing a mask. So we're following the rules as best we can and still trying to give the kids an opportunity to play. And what are the rules, Greg, on fan participation? 
Well, that actually varies from county to county in Indiana. Indianapolis will allow up to 250 fans from one school. They were able to do that in North Central, for example. We played in the football stadium, which allowed the fans to be separated both by school and within their own fan group by the uh, social distance requirements. In Allen County, where I coach, there are no fans. We're uh, allowed essential game personnel only and the teams. So it kind of varies from from county to county, and some of that depends upon the infection rate. That's all being calculated and watched very carefully. All right. As the immediate past president for the Indiana High School Soccer Coaches Association, how much involvement did that organization have, or did they not have any at all? Who made this decision? Was it, I'm assuming it was the actual Indiana High School Athletic Association. In fact, it was the IHSAA. I believe Greg Davidson was kept uh, apprised of the discussions, and I know the National Federation for High School Sports, I'm on a committee with them. They put out some recommendations earlier in the summer that the IHSAA looked over, and I know Greg Davidson, the current president of the ISCA, he's on the same committee. He was able to review those as well. It's been a lot of research by a lot of people, and everyone's doing their best for these kids. Any instances so far, I know it's early doors here, but have you had to cancel any games within the Indiana High School Athletic Association and, and postpone them, or has everything gone okay so far? Well, depends on your definition of okay, I guess. There are some schools that are not playing. Indianapolis Cathedral, a couple of others. I know Belmont High School up near us has shut things down. Some schools shut down their whole athletic programs because of widespread COVID. Some are just shutting down the teams that are having the infections. And some just shut down, like, for example, if I believe if we got a COVID infection on our team when we traveled to Indianapolis, we had a seating chart on the bus, we'd do the contact tracing. But we're all one infection away from being shut down for a two-week quarantine, which would be a big hole in the middle of your season. But it sounds like you're your own man and your players, there's been some discussion. I mean, it sounds like you feel pretty good about the decision. I mean, it would be so difficult. I remember... Watching my kids play sports was the highlight of my life. And like you, Greg, I've been able to do some pretty good things, even from a broadcast position. But my favorite thing to do was to watch my kids play soccer, particularly a kid that was a senior would be devastating. So just kind of give your, yeah, give your thoughts on how important it was to get those kids out there. The kids were desperate to be out there. And honestly, I think my wife was desperate for me to be out there. We actually front loaded our schedule with a lot of games early, which probably isn't necessarily a great idea, but in this COVID environment, we got in a lot of games the first three weeks just in case we get shut down. The kids will have had some semblance of a season, and we'll go from there. And the seniors were just so afraid they wouldn't have anything. And at this point, it looks like we're going to get a few more weeks in, hopefully. But like I said, you're one bad phone call away. I know last Thursday, North Central girls were supposed to play against Lawrence North that afternoon they got a phone call saying that there was a COVID case on Lawrence North and the girls game was canceled for that very evening. Sometimes it happens pretty quickly. Greg, you know better than anybody that United Soccer Coaches, and of course this is the United Soccer Coaches podcast, has always cared deeply about high school soccer for men and women. What has that part of what United Soccer Coaches has, you know, been about? What makes you so proud of the association knowing how much they care about high school soccer. Well, high school soccer has taken some shots over the last few years from different groups, but our our association has 
stood by the high school group, recognized the value and the things that we bring to the high school players and their families. For example, during this COVID thing, the high school advocacy group, working with John Mayer, has identified all 50 states' status with COVID in one document that I was able to share with the IHSAA last Thursday night, showing them exactly what all the other states are doing. And there's some pretty creative ideas out there. Wisconsin came up with a great one, a five-week regular season, followed by their regular three-week tournament. People are working hard to make this work for kids and keep them safe. And uh, the United Soccer Coaches has really done yeoman's work in tracking down the different options and coming up with ideas. So I'm proud of the group for being ahead of even our our own athletic association here in the state. I know you're a big Indiana man. Remind us your story, where you grew up, where you went to college, all that good stuff. Well, I grew up in Fort Wayne where there was no high school soccer. Went down to IU and became a student manager for Coach Jerry Yegley. Just an amazing mentor and friend. Forty years after I graduate, Coach Yegley still calls once or twice a season to see how my team's doing. And gosh, I was never more than a student manager. He's just such an incredible man, and he's provided me with guidance and knowledge and coaching ideas that just can't be matched anywhere else. He's he's been a remarkable friend, and I owe so much to him and the Indiana soccer program. It's just beyond belief. Uh, Greg, as you know, we call him the Godfather on this program, and everybody knows. <laughs> so you know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of that, I actually just I've got another Big Ten and Ten today on this show with. Jim McKeldry and Peter Vermees, but I won't have a seat this fall for any of the fall sports I normally call. Knowing that you're playing right now, how do you feel about the decision uh, from the Big Ten to cancel fall sports? Well, I sure feel for those kids. I uh, don't know. I can't begin to tell you what the real best answer is. I know it's devastating for the teams and the players and the fans. I do know that after the Big Ten canceled, I did call Todd and I offered him a goalkeeping coaching position on my on my staff. <laughs> I, I, I could slip him twelve hundred bucks, you know. <laughs> but I feel for them. We were so close to being in that position. At least we're getting a little bit of our season in. I feel for the seniors in their case as well. Uh, it's just rough for everybody, and I hope everyone understands that they're trying to do their best for everyone involved, and that's just so hard to do from so many angles. Greg, I'm hoping you're going to tell me my final question here that it's not going to be hard for you to do. I realize technology is changing, and I know that uh, you never miss a convention, or at least you try to go to as many as possible. Knowing that this one is digital or virtual, whatever you want to call it, will you try to tap into some of those sessions? Oh, absolutely. I'm going to tap into as many as I possibly can. And the fact that they're going to be available after the actual presentation so you can go back and listen to them later. I want to be able to tap into those at, at other times. I wouldn't miss that. I hate missing the convention. I might save some money by not having to uh, pay expensive prices in the lounge or uh, soda, but I think it's it, it's the best option available in a bad situation. All right, Greg Mockerlite, I do have one more question because coming up, we're talking to two clubs that have merged together and tried to form a partnership, youth clubs, and there's been a long debate, and you kind of even touched on it a little bit, between youth soccer at the elite level and high school soccer. I, for one, had loved every moment of my kids playing high school sports. Do you feel like maybe we can get some middle ground someday where even elite-level players that want to play high school soccer, they can? I would hope that the realization that the, there is a great benefit for these players socially, emotionally, and and they're not exclusively 
getting bad soccer advice from high school coaches. That's just not fair. I would think they could write the rules allowing kids to participate with their high school then rejoin their team, their club team. I don't see why we can't work together. I know there are things on the high school side that make it difficult, like the, there's winter season for high school and there's fall and spring, and not having it all condensed into one season certainly makes it more complicated. But i got to think that the people who have the power really could choose to make it work if they wanted to. What's the nickname for Canterbury High School? We're the Cavaliers. All right, good luck to the Cavaliers. And, of course, uh, just for you, Go Hoosiers, Greg Mount, thanks for kicking off this week's show. I do appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me. Stay safe. Being a coach means being a lot of things. Mentor, teacher, role model, motivator, leader, organizer. Of course, it's not easy to be all of those things. You need help, and who better to help you than an association of fellow coaches. Membership with United Soccer Coaches includes access to over $500 worth of e-learning courses, an improved online resource library with more than 1,000 activities, session plans and articles, $1 million worth of liability insurance, and a whole lot more. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash join and start your free 30-day introductory membership today. United Soccer Coaches, your association for all things coaching. A new leadership partnership in Kansas City soccer has begun. Two Kansas City youth soccer clubs have come together at the leadership level to explore positive changes in our communities. Toka FC and KCSG. COVID hit and what looked like an incredibly negative situation immediately, I think all of us probably began to say, man, what's the opportunity in this? So from that comes leadership opportunities for us to talk and then a group of five of us in a classroom understanding how can we collaborate you know how can we work together to make youth soccer in kansas city even better for our families and our kids it's kind of cool to see us still collaborating what works what doesn't work and understanding and realizing that there's a lot of similarities we have in how we, we operate how our kids play train how coaches their verbiage we're all trying to do the same thing so how do we do it together Youth soccer is a lot of uh, distrust amongst clubs. So when conversations start to happen, and KCSG and Toka are both willing to share sometimes seen as private information with kids in mind, an exciting, unique opportunity of two clubs that trust each other. There's kind of an immediate connection between our values as two clubs, but they matched up. It's going to continue to grow. It's going to continue to get better. We're going to continue to find best practices off of each other, and that's only going to lead to better opportunities and higher platforms for our kids at the highest level in the case area. single day and, and the 
long range, good things come from that. We can show the soccer community that clubs can work together and that they can build a trust in clubs that, you know, we truly have the, the best interest of the player in mind. But then actions now, like two clubs do it together. It's about creating a strong relationship that's going to help our kids. Opportunity, collaboration, unique, growth, trust, together. Toka FC and KCSG. Two of the five voices you just heard in that video are here now. Let's meet them. I'm Matt Trump. I'm the director of coaching with Toka FC, and this will be my fourth year with Toka. My name is Dan Naidu, Kansas City Scott Gallagher, director of coaching girls. I've been with the club for three years. And Dan, can you please tell us the three other inspiring voices we just heard in that video? Kevin Wardlaw, who's the executive director for Toka FC. Jeff Davis, who's the director of coaching boys for KCSG. And Alec Lemon, who is the director of Toka City for Toka. You saw the words better, opportunity, collaboration, unique, growth, trust together. COVID is here, but COVID does not slow down this new relationship between Toka FC and Kansas City, Scott Gallagher. All right, the biggest question is we just heard those powerful words, Matt. Is this going to lead to a full merger? I ask you because it was your voice that said, you know what, forget merger. It's about relationships. To answer your question, but not be too vague with my answer, too many people are concerned with the word merger, and that's kind of what happens in youth soccer. People are willing to give up their identity overnight, and as I mentioned in the video, and as we've talked about as two separate clubs, really, it's going to be two clubs that keep their identity, and we're going to take it day by day to do what's best for kids. People are too quick to jump off of what they do well. We found out through a lot of conversations that we have a lot of things that we have in common. So rather than jump into a merger right away, it's about building a relationship, like a relationship every day, like with your wife or with your friend. You make something work and you see what happens down the road and you don't put limits on it. Dan, back to you. What are some examples of how the two clubs may work together? We've explored different scenarios. I think first during COVID, it brought out opportunities for clubs to really kind of share intimate things that are going on with their club and how they're dealing with things. And it was a lot of more clubs in Kansas City. And we got to know various clubs a little bit better and kind of saw how Toka was operating and ourselves. So from there, it kind of led to this, right, of like-minded philosophies and how we treat our clubs from day-to-day operations to our staff, coaches, families, and players. So a little bit we've done so far is just opportunities for players, regardless of the badge, being able to trust another club that, okay, they can come train and get opportunities. Is it the right environment, regardless if it's a KCSG or TOCA 
badge on the jersey. And so that's kind of led to, to player opportunities, even in this first two, three weeks of play. So that's kind of the immediacy. And the bigger picture we see is an education for our coaches. You know, how do we learn from each other, different voices, and then how that filters down to families, seeing that two clubs can work together that don't have the same name share similarities in the community as well to kind of help educate that and at the end of the day filter down to the player, which we hear all the time, player center environment. So how do we make that better? We've got to educate the clubs, our staff and our coaches and our families to help better that environment. So that's kind of what we're seeing right now. And like Matt said earlier, it's kind of going day by day and figuring out more ways we can provide those good experiences for the players. We're here with Matt Trump and Dan Naidu. Matt, this question will be asked by parents and players and coaches, and I'll start with you. And, Dan, you're welcome to add on to it. Will this affect my player or my team? Go ahead, Matt. No, the teams will remain the same. It's a two-part answer. All the teams in both clubs are going to be coached by their current coaches, but will it affect your player? The answer should be resoundingly yes. For instance, if we do something on the coaching side that works really well for us, we're going to share it with KCSG. If they have an opportunity, they're a part of ECNL on the girls' side, they need a guest player and they need one of our studs to help them out, that absolutely should help that player out. So the teams will stay the same, but the player opportunities should shoot through the roof. And I mean, I'll give you a good example. Like this thing came out three weeks ago. And Dan and I have talked every single weekend up to this point about already providing kids with different platforms and opportunities in each other's club. So no to the teams, they're going to stay the same. Yes to the players because they're going to get higher platforms and more opportunities. Yeah, I would just echo to that, that yeah, the opportunities so far, when we talk about needing, you know, wanting a guest player here and there for whatever reason it may be, it's been able to go to somebody who we already work with and trust and know that one, they're coming from a good environment, but then that club can trust that when they're going in there, it's for the right reasons. And it's not just to come get a player or another body into their club. It's truly to, okay, you're helping us out, but we're also providing an opportunity to where we know they're going to go back to that club and there's not going to be all that messy stuff that may come about if you don't know the club or if there maybe the intentions aren't the same. So just kind of echo what he said. It's proven so far that it's worked, and we're working to manage it and continue to make that better. It's Kansas, so maybe the perception nationwide is, you know, it's a small place. But Johnson County, where we operate, KCSG and Oka, it's one of the five to ten fastest growing counties in the country. And there are clubs all over the place that are booming up overnight. And Unfortunately, what we live in is an environment of fear, an environment of not letting your kids experience things. So like clubs won't release players to go have opportunities. Clubs are afraid of losing a kid. That's why this thing's so unique because it's based out of trust. And unfortunately, kind of the environment that we deal with is the opposite. A lot of places don't trust letting your kid go somewhere else. Absolutely. That's part of youth soccer indeed. I'm glad that you guys are attacking this head on. And I feel like, Matt, you already answered this, but we'll go back to you, Dan, and that is will there be a name change, jersey change, roster change, coaching change, etc.? Our intention is not to lose the identity of either club. We both do things very well. And for me, I'd hate to see that go 
right? And that's why I wholeheartedly believe in the word merger and in my experience in this market has had a negative connotation with it because it's just grabbing something to have an immediate fix on something the club's not doing well. So I feel both clubs are in a good place right now, both kind of respected in the local community, both trying to do things the right way. There's a bunch of clubs that do, don't get me wrong, but we kind of share similar markets. We train at the same facility, both have the same 10-year lease on the same facility, fields right next to each other. We had tryouts right next to each other and we're able to float back and forth. And if Token needed an extra player here and there, if we had a player that just wasn't the right fit, we were able to walk just right across and have a very simple, safe conversation, quick, easy. Matt, you can correct me. There's probably a couple dozen instances where the families are like, I've never seen this before. So we've seen it work with two different badges. So for now, we're like, let's keep doing that. At the end of the day, our responsibility is to make the game better in our local community. And right now, we both feel strongly that both our brands are good, both our brands are recognizable and they're both respected. So why try to bring it into one name? Let's work together. Let's continue to do that. Let's do, let's do something different. Kind of where my mind's at and, and the group of five that were sitting there as well. The most important thing for me was, again, that at the end of the day, was the families and the community and the players knowing that they can trust to organizations to work together. Of course, we have to do some work there, right? But um, I feel it's in a good place right now and a good start. Matt, you, again, to repeat, I felt like you really emphasize relationships. So what is the next step in this relationship? Even before this leadership group formed, I mean, we did leagues and programming for our younger kids with KCSG. So that's kind of how the relationship started. But obviously, we're in COVID. I'm a high school coach as well here in Kansas City. And Dan's son is a junior at a different high school and we're about to possibly lose our high school season. So opportunities kind of come up daily as we have conversations. Well, do we need to set up something between KCSG and TOCA to provide opportunities for our kids that are going to have their high school season ripped away? Do we look at programming for the winter where we can provide opportunities for kids where they might have an indoor opportunity, might have a futsal opportunity? Literally, when I said earlier that it's a relationship that we're taking day by day, it's kind of how we're doing it. We're seeing what pops up. We're trying to be proactive. We're trying to be in front of it. But at the same time, with this COVID situation, we're trying to be adaptive and do what's best for our kids because a lot of it's being stripped away from them. Beyond that, we will start talking about more of their philosophies internally. What do they do with their coaches? What do we do with ours? What's our philosophy on how we educate our coaches and the philosophy on how we play soccer? Day-by-day conversation to see what comes out of it. I want to throw these words out again because the video ends with Sometimes they're just words, but I feel like based on your voices, but it worked for me, better, opportunity, collaboration, unique, growth, trust, together. Can you each sum that up in one sentence or two? For me, that unique one stands out to me to say, we've seen things done many different ways and we've seen things done positively, negatively, right? And I think as coaches, we all look at the positive and bring out If we see a coach doing something, we try to replicate and make it better because it was good, right? And we all take each other's ideas that are positive. So from here, kind of looking at it, okay, what has worked and what hasn't? We've reached out to other directors in other markets across the nation that we know. How'd you do it, right? And a couple of instances across the nation where they've been able to do it on a bigger scale. Never been done in this market. So for me, it's a unique opportunity for us to work together to learn and learn from each other. And that goes from the business side of soccer to the coaches and to the players of figuring out, okay, what unique opportunities can we create, right? If we do a college showcase, just we did one on our own as a club, how cool would it be to tie in another club to give more players an opportunity 
at the same result. At the end of the day, we, we want to provide a platform for the players. So can another club help us achieve that same goal without having to worry about what jersey they wear, what coach they're playing for, who they're going to write a check to at the end of the day? It's an opportunity for the players and letting that be the forefront of it. So that's the one word I picked out for me that, that, was, that was key. It is a unique opportunity because no one's ever done it here in our market. For me, it's the development of the individual player. Every club in the United States will claim that they are about developing the individual player. But very few clubs will say, we might come up short in this area. We might not have exactly what that player needs. We might not have the platform for a kid that's outgrown what we might have or vice versa. So everybody's willing to say they'll develop individual players, but very few are willing to kind of take the back seat every once in a while and do what's right for those individual players. So when you're able to form a partnership and open up communications with another club, I think you could help that player way more than if you keep him or her to yourself. Dan, if I want to know more about KCSG, where do I go? www.kcsgsoccer.org. Matt, if I want to know more about Toka FC, where do I go? www.tokafc.org. And of course, I got to end by asking you both about United Soccer Coaches and what it means to you. We'll start with you, Matt. I mean, it's everything that's right about youth soccer in this country. It's a higher platform to learn, to grow, and to help kids do the exact same thing coaches should be doing. Well said, Matt. Dan, to me, United Soccer Coaches means what? Uh, I pull the word out United there. Again, what we look at a collaborative effort for helping the game, helping coaches. Okay. A new leadership partnership in Kansas City Youth Soccer has begun, and it takes people like Dan Naidu and Matt Trump with two Ps to get it done with KCSG and Toka FC. Thanks for being with me, guys. Thanks for having us. Appreciate Appreciate it. it. How about that? Even their thank yous are together. Good stuff for Dan and Matt and these two great clubs. Coming up, we meet Chelsea Patterson, one of just a handful of black coaches at the D1 level. She's the assistant coach for the University of Houston women's soccer team. Chelsea Patterson, after this message. Looking for ways to improve your training sessions? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for over 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential for every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to take your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. So pleased to be visiting with Chelsea Patterson. She is the assistant coach at the University of Houston women's soccer team in the American Athletic Conference. Chelsea Patterson played four years at Cal State Fullerton, a young black coach trying to make it happen. As you know, we've been pushing the message forward via Nicole Hercules, who is the chair for the Black Coach Advocacy Group, and we're pleased to be joined by Chelsea Patterson. Chelsea, thanks for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we're delighted to have you, and we're delighted to be working every week with Nicole Hercules, who's the chair for the Black Coaches Advocacy Group for United Soccer Coaches. We're trying to get a bigger voice. We need to have one with the social injustice and also for equality and opportunity. We're going to wipe out racism. We're going to move forward. When you think about that message from Nicole Hercules and United Soccer Coaches, how does it make you feel? It makes me feel supported and really happy and really fortunate to be a part of this movement at this time. I am biracial, so 
growing up within different ethnicities, I've learned to grow and understand that there are different challenges. So I'm behind Nicole Hercules, and, and I'm very excited for everything that she has to support. Well, I love that. And, you know, I will tell you that even for me, who uh, luckily I was raised to, you know, always look at people for who they are, in fact, mm -hmm. perhaps even sheltered from it. But, you know, visiting with Kia McNeil and Shaka Daly and Trevor Banks and other people, like, they're little things that you don't realize, like saying, wow, they're really well-spoken or referring to black soccer players are great athletes as opposed to great soccer players like Crystal Dunn. Did you notice those little things growing up? Yes. Yes, I definitely did. The little microaggressions that it's like, oh, you're really well spoken for a black girl or you are a really good player or you're athletic because you are black. And those are the types of things that I definitely took personal, but I think those were all the more reason for me to just show them wrong. And it's and that. It's not just because I'm black, it's not just because I'm a female, but it's because I am a human being and I work hard for everything that I do, especially soccer. Look, we've been down this road before where there's been movement and then all of a sudden it disappears. I think mm -hmm. this time, particularly someone like me who's got a media platform, I think it's important that the dialogue doesn't fade away, right, Chelsea? We keep it going. Correct, and I think that's, that's the one thing that we need to take out of all of this is that it starts with a conversation. It starts with communication, not just within families, but within second families, within friend groups, within organizations, with your coworkers, your leaders, the people who work below you. Any, any type of conversation or interaction that you have with someone, I think that's the perfect opportunity to have a conversation. But along with it, I think it comes with a certain type of, like you said, respect for another person's opinion, as well as kind of listening and humbling yourself and not just trying to force your ideas onto another person. As we keep the dialogue going, I also mentioned mm -hmm. equality and opportunity. That means we want more black coaches in the women's game and the men's game. We want more black leaders in the highest professional leagues here, MLS, NWSL, right down to USL and even the other leagues for pro and amateur women, when you see Kia McNeil at Brown, you know, with that big voice, how does that make you feel as far as future opportunities for you down the road? It makes me feel like there are doors that are being opened now for me, and I'm not just staring in other terms at a closed door. I'm able to see different opportunities because someone is starting that path for me, and it's not the exact path that I have to take, but it's allowing other opportunities to open up. So it's really making me feel grateful for them to be kind of the forerunners in this. Let's learn about your journey. You grew up in California. Tell us about your family, brothers and sisters, maybe <laughs> what your parents did. And along the way, tell us your club and, and why you chose Cal State Fullerton and then even your coaching stops before you got to Houston. Tell us that whole story, Chelsea. Yeah, definitely. I was raised by my mother. My mom and dad were not living together. They're separated. But I do have an older brother as well as three younger siblings, so two sisters and a brother, and we all played soccer growing up. I played for Pollution Rangers as my youth for about six, seven years from the age of 13 through high school until going into college. And something that my mom always instilled in me was to never be happy with where I'm at. I mean, to be happy, <laughs> to be grateful, but to have really high expectations of myself that after a game, after a practice, there's always something 
better that I could have done. And I think that's definitely provided me a foundation and commitment and the discipline to guide me to where I'm, I'm here today in Houston. But going backwards, I always, always encourage my siblings to follow their dreams. And I think being the second oldest of five kids, but also being the oldest daughter, I felt like I had a really important role for my sisters to look up to me and let them know that they could do anything they put their minds to. So I decided to go to Cal State Fullerton. I stayed within the Orange County area. I did not probably lived about five miles away from Cal State Fullerton, so I didn't leave outside of the area. And I spent my four years there. My freshman year, I did not start the first couple games, and then I earned a starting position, and I never left the field from my freshman year until my senior year. My sophomore year, we were regular season champs, and then my junior year, we were Big West Conference Tournament champions, and then my senior year, we were both regular season and conference tournament champions. So that was a really amazing feat for us to win. And then my senior year, actually, I had a career-ending injury. Uh, I tore my ACL, so that's kind of where my collegiate career ended. So when did you know you wanted to be a coach, and what was your route coaching to get you to Houston? You know, I've always had a nurturing personality and and style. I think it started, obviously, like I mentioned, with my two younger siblings. But throughout my time at Cal State Fullerton, we did multiple youth camps. We did volunteering within the local club. So for us, it was Fullerton Rangers, but it was also some AC Bray events as well. Through that, I started to kind of get this personality and philosophy. Not so much philosophy, but I think I started to build a foundation of what I really wanted when I was working with the youth that I was coaching at the time. And my senior year, when I did have the career-ending injury, I had to think about other means because it was the fall of my senior year and I was about to graduate. And I was taking this teaching and coaching class at Cal State Fullerton. And my ideas and my values as a person and as a player really correlated with the ideas that this professor was instilling in us and explaining that coaching is the same as teaching. And that's kind of how I grew my philosophy as a coach because I want it to be a player-oriented coaching style as well as I want to always make sure that the players are growing. It's always going to be about soccer, of course. Soccer is our life, but I want them to understand that there's a parallel between life and soccer and how we move through that and how we overcome adversity. So that's kind of the beginning. Like That was the seed that was planted in, in my head. And then the next two years, I went to Laverne, and I was brought under Lauren Pahanich's wing, who is the head coach at University of Laverne women's soccer team. And for those two to three years, I just really grew as a coach. She challenged me in stepping up to writing practices, to handling different situations, to managing the players. And I was really like, okay, I can do this. I, I think I really, I really like coaching. <laughs> and just remind everybody where Laverne, it's a D3 school, where, it's, where is it located? Correct. It is located in Laverne, California. It is near Pomona, California, and it is in the Skyac. And then how did you learn about the Houston job? What do you remember about that whole interview process? Oh, wow. Um, it was happened. <laughs> Fairly, fairly quickly. Um, like I said, I was at Laverne, but I was a grad assistant, so I was finishing up my master's. Finished in December, and then um, about a month after that, I was like, you know, I'm just going to focus on coaching club. I'm going to student teach because I had my credentials, and I was going to sub in, in different districts about, around where I lived in California. And I got a call from the head coach, Diego Bocanegra. He was like, I heard you're done with, with college now. Are you interested in a collegiate coaching job? 
in Houston, and I was like, wow, you know, a, a California girl who's never left the state. <laughs> I was like, Houston will be a huge move, but I was at the end of my of my teaching as well as my, my coaching at Laverne, so I was like, why not? I came out to visit Houston, and I immediately enjoyed the atmosphere on campus, the program, the players, everyone in the department and the athletics department was so welcoming, and I really felt like it was a second home to me because Cal State Fullerton will always be home, but this is really a place where I can make my other home. So pleased to be joined by Chelsea Patterson. Just a couple more questions as I appreciate you sharing your story. I'm going to go back to what you said about uh, it sounds like your mom raised, I'm not sure if she raised all of you or just a couple of you, but obviously that's not easy. And particularly knowing that you had a brother, you obviously know what's going on with young black men. I mean, who do you remember or do you remember your mom saying something to him or you or both about, you know, turning on that switch, being aware of where you are? To clarify, like you said, it was myself and my older brother that were raised by my mom and then my dad and he remarried my stepmom, raised my three younger siblings. And for my mom, it was definitely a conversation where we had to pay attention to our surroundings. And me being a black female, I think, was even more crucial for her. And then for my brother, it was a black male, and he always was told by my dad, who is black, he's from Michigan, born and raised, and there were various conversations of we need to be respectful, be aware that you may be in situations where you need to be a little more understanding, a little bit more aware because you will be treated differently. So I think for my brother and myself, they were a little bit different conversations just because, like you said, brother and I was a female. But again, for my mom, being a single mom, I think she was definitely reiterating to me, be aware of your surroundings, be aware of your surroundings. Chelsea, you definitely got to play it straight on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. We don't get into politics, but just as far as inspirational figures, knowing your story, when you hear the name Kamala Harris, how does that make you feel? Um, I get chills. <laughs> I get chills because she she is opening doors for so many women, but black women as well, and she is a leader, and she will be a leader in this country, so... To see that she has a possibility to be a vice president of our United States is so amazing to see and to have someone in a role model position for us to all look up to is, I'm very grateful, very humbled to see her there. So if you had a crystal ball 10 years from now, Chelsea Patterson, what would you be doing? <laughs> 10 years from now, my first thought is to be the head coach of my own program, and I'm not sure if... It would be D1, D2, D3. Honestly, I would be fortunate to be head coach anywhere, but that would be my goal in 10 years, to have my own program, to be surrounded by assistants that I trust and that I appreciate. And there will be ups and downs with the program, of course, with the culture of it, but hoping to continue to grow and learn and to make my way to that path. And let's hope for sure, Chelsea, that 10 years from now, it doesn't matter <laughs> if the color of your skin is purple, right? That it's all about mm -hmm. just your ability, and that's how you're judged, right? That's what we're aiming for here, yes. right? Yes, exactly. And it's providing the same opportunity for everyone and no judgments, and it's respecting everyone's opinion and just to treat each other as, as human beings <laughs> without any color. Because to be fair, like even when you search the assistant coach ranks at D1 levels for 
women of color, there's not mm-hmm. enough, right? Even nope. as assistant coach, let alone head coaches, more needs to be done if we truly want equality and opportunity, right? Yes, I 100% agree. I think it's the ones who are in assistant positions as well as head coach positions. It's coming together and it's talking about our different experiences to help each other, one, help each other, but also, two, how we can help the next generation, the next group of female coaches coming up because we're, I guarantee we're all going through the same struggles as females in a predominantly male sport area in coaching. So I think there's a lot of just, like I said in the beginning, conversation that needs to be had in coming together. Chelsea, I know you've applied to the 30 Under 30 program as well, which is great. We have two more members coming up of this current class. But when you think about United Soccer Coaches, what has it meant to you? It's meant everything to me because I love collaborating and I love learning different ideas and knowing that my way of thinking isn't the only way of thinking. So the fact that we have United Soccer Coaches allows me a platform and so many other female coaches and male coaches platforms to grow from others and to kind of pick their brains a little bit when the time comes for that mentorship. But I really appreciate, I mean, all of the conventions. I've been to the conventions a couple times as well and the amount of information that is provided there is overwhelming at times, definitely, but to say the least, it's very helpful. Chelsea Patterson, Houston Cougars assistant coach, former star at Cal State Fullerton, where she won the double in her conference her senior year. Chelsea, pleasure getting to know you. Thanks for being on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Thank you so much, Dean. I appreciate this opportunity and allowing you to ask me some questions and get to know me better. Appreciate it. My pleasure, indeed. We'll be back with more as we visit with Rutgers' Jim McKeldry and the U.S. Soccer Hall of Famer, Peter Vermeer. Team Snap's awesome. I have five teams on Team Snap. There are no questions asked by the players, the parents. Very easy to use. Very, very, very easy. Simple to use. Everyone, you know, everything's right there. Messages, availability, boom, boom, boom. I've looked at other at other things, and I think Team Snap sets the bar for this type of team management software. It's the best that I found. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. It's been a great show. We talked women's college soccer. We talked high school soccer. We talked youth soccer. Now we go back to men's soccer and continue our Big Ten in 10 series. Today it's the Rutgers Scarlet Knights, led by their second-year top man, Jim McKeldry, and the U.S. Soccer Hall of Famer, Rutgers Hall of Famer, the manager of Sporting KC. He's done it all, arguably one of the best coaches to ever come out of the U.S. soccer system, talking about the great Peter Vermees. Chrisman Rowe, the former goalkeeper for Indiana, joined me on this Big Ten and Ten series. And I must point out, this was recorded while Sporting KC was in the bubble for the MLS is back tournament down in Orlando a few weeks ago. So you'll hear questions about the bubble and how Sporting KC is doing, but you'll also hear how excited Peter is to have Jim at Rutgers and how excited Jim is to, in fact, be at Rutgers, and we kick it off by asking Jim about the future of the Rutgers men's soccer program. Yeah, you know, I think our first year was just trying to kind of change a little bit of the culture and uh, try to increase our standards a little bit, looking at the history that we have at at Rutgers with guys like Peter and and many other players that came through the ranks, a lot of successful teams. I think we take that seriously, but also can we start writing our own history a little bit as well? So, uh, you know, we couldn't be more excited about the future of our, our program, but also even just all the stuff that 
this university is putting uh, into our program. We feel lucky and uh, I'm just happy to be here. Well, coming to the Big Ten after such a successful stint in the Atlantic 10 2017 Elite Eight appearance, multiple conference titles, what was your impression in your first season of the Big Ten style of play and how does that compare to how you'd like to see Rutgers play moving forward? Yeah, I don't think there was much of a surprise. There's a lot of talent, a lot of good coaches, a lot of great facilities. So uh, I knew coming in that there's going to be some challenges that we have to uh, address with our group to be able to compete at that level. I think the biggest thing that we felt, we were, uh, again, a little bit of lack of depth. I think we've got a some talent in our group, but uh, you need to increase that. You know, the season can be a grind, uh, especially as you get into the Big Ten when you're playing Tuesday, Sunday, Tuesday, Sunday. It can be really rough. So, you know, it's something that we knew that we have to go out and attract good players, not only from New Jersey, but from anywhere that we feel can help our program. But the talent is very good in our conference. We feel it's the uh, one of the best conferences in the country. But that's why I'm, I'm here. That's why I'm excited to be here and, you know, embrace those challenges, embrace the high expectations and, and get after it. Obviously, one of the greatest players Players ever from New Jersey, Peter Vermees. Peter, we met in 1989 as you were qualifying for the World Cup. We were reconnected with the Colorado Rapids where you made the transition and you were the MLS Defender of the Year. So first off, it's always great to see you. If I even see the name Peter Vermees, it makes me smile just by the way you carry yourself. But I got to ask you, Peter, when you reflect on your days at Rutgers, what did that mean to you? Yeah, I I look at it as a a stepping stone into my professional career. At the time, you know, Bob Riasso was the coach. You know, he's an icon of soccer during his time at, at the university. And what he did was he helped propel the the university and the sport of soccer in New Jersey. Uh, and so I was very lucky to be a part of it because Bob really tried to run the team at a very high standard. That's what I always wanted in anything that I was a part of. You know me, Dean, I, I, I'm a perfectionist and I and I always want to be involved with the best and, and always striving to be the best. And so Bob created that environment, that culture, and it was a pleasure to be a part of it. Well, you've coached a number of high-profile Big Ten alumni over the years, including Roger Espinoza, Suni Saad, and my old IU teammate, Jake Peterson. How have college players like these added value to the club over the years, and does their impact differ to that maybe of a homegrown player, an international signing, etc.? Well, all those guys were at a, a different time period, right? And so they were the foundation of Major League Soccer. Guys coming out of college, that was the foundation of everybody's team. What's changed is that because we have our pro pathway and you have your academy, you have your second team, players are choosing in certain instances to stay with the club and use that sort of as their, if you will, their education, right? Their soccer education. It's not to say that players still can't come out of college and make it into our league because it still happens. I just think it's not as many players as it has been in the past. But at the same time, those guys had a major impact on this club. And a lot of players that have been in college and have gone through that pathway have had an incredible impact on the game of MLS and how it's evolved. Well, speaking even more about college, like we said, member of the Rutgers Hall of Fame, what does it mean to you personally to have someone like Jim in charge of the club and the program, a New Jersey guy himself who really understands and appreciates the history of Rutgers University? Yeah, so first of all, I got some history with Jim, right? So I I already know him. We played together, and I've always loved his dedication to the game. When he got the job, he reached out. We chatted on the phone, and You know, when you heard his answer just a moment ago, and he talks about the culture and raising the standards, I think any coach today has to have those qualities of leadership if they're going to be successful. You can't be the coach who only goes out these days and 
can set up a training session and lay some cones down. It's so much more than that. You're dealing with people. You're dealing with individuals on and off the field. You have to look at the whole person. It's not just a soccer player on the field. And I think Jim has a great focus in that area. And I think it's one of the reasons why in such a short period of time, just in last year, he already turned the team around. And more importantly, you can see it even by the way that the guys enjoy and the way that they enjoy playing the game. Jim, when you think Peter Vermees and Alexi Lalas, you think superstars, but not enough people think Rutgers. How important is it for you to create the next Peter Vermees and Alexi Lalas's out of Rutgers? Yeah, I think, you know, Peter just touched on it. The soccer climate's a little bit different these days. You know, you've got young players that are the top players in the country that may choose to stay with their academy and with their MLS club and and go that direction. Some guys are even going overseas. But the guys that end up coming to us still have those dreams of playing at the highest level. So part of my job that I take seriously is letting them know what I think they need to do to get to that level. And it's up to them to put the time in, the effort in, and to also kind of be part of our uh, program here and, and you know, as we always say, like team success equals kind of individual success eventually. So the better we do, the better it is for these individuals. But they all have dreams of playing as, as pros. So we want to make sure that we're giving them that opportunity. And, and again, as Peter said, we want to put this program in a professional environment. We're very lucky in the facilities. My boss, Pat Hobbs, the AD here, has put a lot of money into the, the facilities here. So we feel that if kids aren't ready to go at the pro or sign a homegrown contract, that this is the next best step for them. And it can kind of keep that dream alive of playing as a pro while also getting an education. And if they're good enough, they'll get seen and and get picked up. And if they're not, at the end of the day, they'll have a a degree to fall back on. But yeah, I think uh, all of our guys that come in, that's how we're recruiting as well. We want guys that have ambition right? Because then they're willing to push it even harder and, and put in the, the time and the commitment needed to reach the level that they think they can they can reach. Well, speaking of the professional environment, Peter, you're the first person to win the MLS Cup, both as a player and as a manager. You're currently down in the MLS's back bubble in uh, steamy Orlando. How are you and your staff and, and your players, for that matter, trying to make the best of what obviously is an unreal situation? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. I think first and foremost, we realized when we were coming down here, that we were going to have to kind of do the best job we could to stay self-contained. As much as everybody talks about being in the bubble, we've tried to try to create our own little bubble amongst our team to, first off, stay safe. Second, we've been, I think, pretty resourceful when it comes to just trying to keep the guys mentally engaged because it's not easy. You know, majority of your day is spent in your room. You're grabbing your food. You're going back to your room. There's just not a lot of areas that you can kind of release your energy other than when you go to the field. And so we tried to make that the right combination between time off, time we spend in the weight room, time we're on the field. And then other things that we've been able to do is, you know, go out to dinner within the bubble itself. We have a lot of different restaurants and things like that we can do. So the guys have done well with that. Now the final piece is the soccer. And I think whenever you come into a a World Cup format, if you will, you see different ways of teams starting out in this tournament. And that is you can start as a house on fire and then maybe all of a sudden you, you don't do well at the end. Or you can kind of build up, you know, the Italian style. You kind of go at it slow and you keep progressing game to game. And I think our team is is slowly getting there. We're probably not in the same form as when we started the season. But we're actually, from game to game, we've gotten a lot better. And uh, it's good to have gotten a clean sheet in the last game, go atop the group. And now we got a game on Sunday and we'll hopefully – 
you know, have a good performance there to move on to the next round. Peter Vermees, we're honored that you could join us for Big Ten in 10. Still have so much excitement thinking about you with the Colorado Rapids, thinking about you almost scoring against Walter Zinga. You are a legend. Congratulations on all your success because it's proof that hard work pays off. You're a testament to that. Thank you so much, Peter. My pleasure. Thank you. And Jim McKeldry, now in your second season, we know you're returning Rutgers to the glory days. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, Dean. I'm telling you, folks, if you know Peter Vermees, and as you just heard, those two fine youth coaches, they know Peter Vermees because who can't be a Sporting KC fan if you live in the area? If you know him, you love him. He just... He's intense, but he brings a smile to your face because he's always got time for you, and I always have time for him and Jim McKeldry and the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. All right, we wrap up the show with two more members of our incredible 30 Under 30 class, Kyle Smith and Sarah Livey. Don't forget, folks, the 2021 United Soccer Coaches Convention is going digital January 11 through 15, 2021. More details to come. Keep posted by going to unitedsoccercoaches.org. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Favorite part of the show, 30 under 30 time. Another impressive young man in this case, Kyle Smith, that's part of this current class. We saw them in Baltimore. Kyle Smith works with the Houston Dynamo Academy, and he also works in digital marketing with Brand x We'll learn about that as well. Kyle, thanks for being on the program. Yeah, really excited to be part of this. Thanks for having me. Let's start off by learning your journey. I know that you went to Notre Dame. You didn't play at Notre Dame, but you went there and admired Bobby Clark, which who doesn't love Bobby Clark? But talk about uh, growing up, where you grew up. Did you play soccer? What club? What led you to Notre Dame? And what led you to get the coaching buck? Yeah, born and raised in Rochester, New York, so the western part of the state. And I'm one of six kids, and we all at some point grew up playing soccer. Neither of my parents really had that in their background, but we all gravitated towards soccer. So kicked around a ball since I was really, really young. But my sport was actually baseball for the longest time, and it wasn't until high school that I switched over to soccer. I played for McCoy Jesuit, my high school in Rochester. And, yeah, loved being around the game. And then ultimately ended up going to, to Notre Dame and had a great experience there playing club soccer. And while there, as an undergrad and then in graduate school, I started to think about more getting into the coaching side of things. So I think it was turning back the clock the summer of 2013, uh, did my e-license course back home in, in New York, and that's really what led me down this path of coaching. And then 2014 got involved with the women's club soccer team at the University of Notre Dame and also Junior Irish Soccer Club, which is a, a local hub in South Bend, Indiana, where I got the opportunity to work with Greg Dalby, who was an assistant at the time at the University of Notre Dame, also an alum, and he played pro in the MLS for a while. And working with him was like the light bulb just went off, that I loved being around the game in this capacity and learning from him and seeing how much he was devoted to developing the whole person and his coaching methodology definitely being influenced by Bobby Clark and got to watch some of Notre Dame's training sessions and the way that they they built a culture focused around development technically and then as individuals on the character side of things, that made me fall in love with the coaching aspect of soccer. And what a great way to fall in love with it. It just proves that you don't have to be an elite level Division One or pro to want to be a coach. Speaking of inspiration, what was your inspiration to want to be a part of this 30 under 30 class, Kyle? Ever since I started to take coaching more seriously, I pursued coaching courses through U.S. Soccer and then also through NSPAA, now United Soccer Coaches, and had a great experience with a course here in Houston. 
one of the advanced national courses and just getting involved more with the organization on the, the course level and then the community level, meeting some great coaches through the network, even the magazine and the, and the online updates and just things that were helping me develop as a coach that I could really plug into and turn to with questions and just as an outlet to better myself and so I could in turn better serve the, the players I was coaching. So I heard about the program a few years ago and didn't really think about applying until last year. I loved how the emphasis was on a lot of different development areas as a coach. It's an opportunity to go to the convention, to meet other coaches who are doing amazing things on a national level who are young and, and continuing to develop as well. And just this emphasis on how you can take coaching and, and leverage that to serve your local community. I think that was one of the questions in the application process. And being part of the Houston soccer community is something I, I'm really passionate about. I'm a transplant here. I've been here about six years, but have been fortunate to be involved with the Dynamo Academy and seeing everything that's going on with the soccer culture here on a local level. Paul Holliker and, and what the coaches and the team at the Dynamo Academy and, and the Dynamo as an organization are doing to bring soccer across the Houston area, and it's just a huge metro area, is really, really exciting. So I wanted to get plugged into whatever I could to make a difference here. Great name dropper, Paul Holliker. I called his games when he took on UC Santa Barbara at his former university in California. I love that he's now involved with the Dynamo. Well done to you. So what drew you to Houston? And then talk about this balance because it sounds like you've got a pretty exciting full-time job outside of coaching. So Houston, I originally yeah, came for work. I got a job right out of graduate school on the north side of Houston. And then about a year and a half ago, made a little bit of a career change. So now I'm working for a company called Brand Extract. It's a, a branding agency here in Houston. Love being a part of that team and, and love what I do get to do on the, the marketing side of things full-time by day, I guess. But in the evenings and on the weekends, a lot of that time is devoted to soccer. I think it was back in 2017 where I got plugged into the Dynamo Academy. I had met Coach Justin Neese at, it was actually one of the NSCAA USC coaching courses and loved talking to him and, and learning from him and yeah, eventually got, got brought on the team as, as an assistant with the, first of all, it was the U13s and last year I, this past year I transitioned to assisting with the, the U12. So, it is tricky at times balancing full-time job with obligations as well with the Dynamo Academy, but it's just so much fun for me to be around the boys and the culture that Paul and the other coaches have built, this culture of development, where, again, it's very similar things that made me fall in love with coaching with Greg Dalby and watching Bobby Clark operate, this culture of development where it's technical excellence on the pitch, helping individuals develop mentally, and those mental skills, but then character as well. And that's so, so important to me, and I love helping individuals kind of pursue and, and fulfill their potential. That's really, really important to me, kind of cultivating that growth mindset in others. Quick side, Bali, because I think they're under the same umbrella, but you can clarify me if I'm wrong, but the Houston Dash just won the NWSL Challenge Cup, which is great for that program. Even though you're on the Dynamo side, did you get pretty fired up about them winning that? Just incredible. I had so much fun watching that team and, and everything that they did under these circumstances. And I, I do think there's a little bit of – here in Houston, again, I'm really proud to, to be a part of the Dynamo organization and to be a part of this city. 
and its culture. And I think that is more than ever reflected in our sports teams on, on the pitch and the dash having kind of this grit, determination, this little bit more open style of play that James Clarkson's brought. He's done an incredible job. He actually was the academy director for, for quite a while as well, but he's transitioned to that head coaching role in the NWSL and just is doing a fantastic job. But the ladies did amazing, and I, it's awesome that they brought that back to the city. And I think it's just a great building point for both the Dash organization and the Dynamo to continue to grow and compete at these really high levels. I mean, Pat Ramos has just come in for the first team in the Dynamo. Just a lot of positive energy that is going on in the soccer culture here in Houston. So help me out. As you said, you're one of six. Your family from Rochester. I'm wondering if mom and dad are still there. Feels like New York's starting to get this COVID thing under control. I do kind of sense in Texas it's still a little bit of wild, wild west. How safe are you and how often does your family check in on you with this pandemic going on? Yeah, family's still back up in Rochester. Uh, a lot of them, although we're, we're pretty scattered now, Baltimore to Indianapolis to Houston, uh, and then a few back home as well. But all the time I'm checking in on them, and thankfully everyone's been fine through all this. And here in Houston, I think things have, uh, have started to get back under control, which is exciting because there's talk now of introducing protocols to safely return to play on on the academy side of things. And then I know MLS just this weekend announced that they're returning to play, and I think the Dynamo's first home game is August 21st. So there's just this, I think, some positive momentum on a national level to kind of wrangle this pandemic and get back to normal as much as possible. On the academy side of things, I think it's just so important for the boys to, again, safely, and the academy's done a really good job developing a protocol to return to play in a safe manner. But for them to get back to the pitch and see teammates and and interact and engage, have that that social aspect, because the past, it's been four months, it's been amazing to watch them take ownership of their own development. They have done an incredible job. I want to give them a shout-out because individually they've taken what Coach Tanner Chapman, there's actually a, a coach in the Dynamo Academy who's the skills coach, and that's his focus, is working on the technical uh, side of things. And he's done an amazing job developing a program to help these boys and give them exercises and, and things to focus on while at home. And they've just committed to executing on those day after day, and it's been awesome to watch that. Tying it all back together, safety and coaching and United Soccer Coaches, it was just announced that the United Soccer Coaches Convention will go virtual January 11th through 15th. I'm guessing you were in Baltimore and part of that awards banquet on that Friday night and enjoying every part of being live and with 10,000 of your closest friends in the coaching world. Obviously, safety first, so it will go virtual. I'm hoping you had a good enough time in Baltimore that even though it's virtual, you'll want to participate in the convention. I totally understand that move, and I'm looking forward to, yeah, tuning in because in so many ways the convention experience, that was my first experience in, in Baltimore going to the convention and just the opportunity to reconnect with old friends in the coaching world who, you know, we live different places now, but that's kind of a central meeting point, uh, meeting new faces in the 30 under 30 program, and then new coaches who sometimes you just say hello or you're at a, a presentation and there's this mutual connection and 
a lot of awesome things to come out of that and, and the mentorship as well. Got the opportunity to meet Bo, who has been a part of this past year in the program and really grateful for that as well. So, I, again, I just love the experience and, and anytime I can replicate that in years to come, I, I'd love to be a part of it. To end this, as we look at you and your resume and the fact that you're doing both, what does United Soccer Coaches mean to you? And then with that, do you think there'll ever be a day where you're only doing coaching or do you like that balance? It's a, it's a question I definitely wrestle with sometimes. And I remember the first time Bo and I chatted, we talked about that because for a long time I think he was in the legal world and coaching as well. And, and you do have a, a love and enjoyment for both things. I, I do love Again, being a part of the soccer culture and the coaching culture to me is is helping others and it's helping their development because I love seeing people fulfill their potential or being part of that journey. So um, right now, actually, I'm involved in a lot of the, the media side of things, even with my full-time job, and then in the past year a little bit more with the Dynamo Academy and might be helping out a little bit more on that front going forward, which I'm excited about, just telling the Dynamo Academy story and what the boys are doing and what the coaching staff are doing and what the organization as a whole is doing in Houston to bring the game to families throughout the area. Just there's a lot of awesome initiatives going on. One that comes to mind is the Soccer Starts at Home program. Uh, Tom Beyer is uh, an expert in that program, and he's partnered with the Dynamo. So, you know, Paul and, and Tom are going to a lot of local schools throughout the Houston metro area and introducing that concept to families and their children. I just think the future is really bright for Houston and, and soccer, so I want to continue to be a part of it in any way that I can. Kyle Smith, another great member of the 30 Under 30 class, thanks for being on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by Team Snap. Thanks so much for having me, Dean. And we wrap it up with a visit with Sarah Leiby, another 30 Under 30 member. Being a coach means being a lot of things. Mentor, teacher, role model, motivator, leader, organizer. Of course, it's not easy to be all of those things. You need help, and who better to help you than an association of fellow coaches. Membership with United Soccer Coaches includes access to over $500 worth of e-learning courses, an improved online resource library with more than 1,000 activities, session plans and articles, $1 million worth of liability insurance, and a whole lot more. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash join and start your free 30-day introductory membership today. United Soccer Coaches, your association for all things coaching. Welcome back. It's 30 under 30. Time is down the stretch we go. We're going to do it, folks. We're going to get you all 30, 15 talented men, 15 talented women under the age of 30 devoted to the passion and love of the game of soccer. No different today with Sarah Leiby. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, team. Happy to be here. All right, Sarah. So right now you're in Florida. You're the assistant coach at St. Leo, right? Tell us about St. Leo, what division, what that school is all about. Sure. So St. Leo is located about 45 minutes north of Tampa, Florida. It's a smaller private Division II school with a rich history of success in all of our sports and just a really exciting place to be right now. All right. I love to hear your journey. As I understand, you're from the state of Pennsylvania. I think you grew up in and around Philly. Then you went to college at Vermont. I love that state. Love that state. And now you found your way down to Florida. But walk us through the whole thing. And what I mean by that, Sarah, is who you played youth for, what made you decide to go to Vermont, and what's in since Vermont. 
Sure. So played for a lot of different clubs growing up. I was a goalkeeper, so as you know, goalkeepers can be in high demand. So bounced around a lot of different clubs in around the area of Westchester United, Spirit United, and down in town. Finished up at Vincent United in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. So a lot of different clubs there, a lot of different teams, which really influenced me. And ended up going to the University of Vermont. Fell in love with the school, as you said, great state to be in. So many outdoor activities, so much to do, so much to explore, and absolutely loved my four years there. I studied environmental science while I was there and had this dream of becoming a park ranger, but I always knew that soccer would be part of my life forever. So before I graduated, I started my coaching education. I did my D license before I graduated. And then I actually ended up moving out to South Dakota, of all places. After I graduated, took a job with the Forest Service out there, and also got my start in in coaching soccer. I was the assistant boys varsity coach at a tiny school called Spearfish High School. That's where it all started for me, and have bounced around to different places. Had a stint at Black Hill State University, then another stint at Montana State University Billings before coming down to Florida at St. Leo. Wow, that is very diverse, and I love Vermont, and sounds like you were in Wyoming, South Dakota. I got to ask you, how close were you to Sturgis? Sturgis is definitely in the news of late. Yes, it is. So very close. Spearfish is only about 30 minutes from Sturgis. So, you know, that's one of the things that you have to experience in life, especially when you're so close. So definitely made it down to the bike rally one year. All right. Yeah, definitely something you need to experience when there's not a pandemic going on, right? Yes. (laughs) Very true. All right. So how long have you been at St. Leo? Who's the head co-chair and how did you attack that job? Do you remember the interview process? Yeah. So I've been here. It's been about a year and a half now. I work with a great head coach, Peter McGahey, who I'm extremely lucky to be around and work with every single day and learn from. For me, it hit all of the boxes that I was really looking for when I wanted to get a new job and take those next steps in my coaching journey. So for me, I was looking for a place where I'd have a great mentor, be able to grow, take on new responsibilities, and also have the opportunity to be successful. And where the student athletes really got a good experience both in the classroom and on the soccer field. So when it checked all the boxes, I knew it would be the right place for me. Well, you're bouncing all over the country. What are your parents and brothers and sisters doing? Are they coming to visit you at all, or is it just a lot of phone calls and FaceTime? Right now, it's a lot of phone calls and FaceTime. Family would definitely love to come down and, and visit, but just not anytime soon, you know, looking for it to be safe. But, yeah, family, my parents both are back in Pennsylvania. My sister is in Ohio. So everyone's still up north, but do our best to stay connected. All right. We're here with Sarah Leiby. You talked about the great mentor that you have now at St. Leo. How about your mentor with the 30 Under 30 program? Who is that and how's that going? It's been great. My mentor with the 30 Under 30 program is Mike Navarre. He's the head coach at Augsburg University, which is a Division Three school. And it's actually funny. Before I got the chance to tell Peter who my mentor was, he told me. He goes, oh, I got a phone call from Mike the other night. 
saying that you were his mentor. So it's funny how it, the world is so small, especially our soccer world. But it's been great to chat with Mike over the past year, have a sounding board to bounce ideas off of, to talk about career path, career development, and also all the all the things going on in this crazy world right now. I'm assuming you were in Baltimore for the convention. Talk about your experience there. Yeah, so Baltimore was my first convention. Having spent a lot of time in the middle of the country, getting to convention is a little hard, but I was super excited to go, and I learned so much through that experience and was able to take a lot back from the sessions I went to, from our discussions, and bring it back to St. Leo and actually implement a lot of the things I learned and really improve our program. And for you, United Soccer Coaches means what, Sarah? United Soccer Coaches means so much to me. I think there's a huge education piece. I think really it means community to me to bring all of these great soccer minds together and especially help us young coaches who are coming up, you know, have been active in the women's advocacy group as well. So just having that connection and that community has meant so much to my development and growth as a coach. Finally, Sarah, the crystal ball question that if you listen to the podcast at all, you know I like to ask. Right now you're at St. Leo. You've been other places as we laughed about a little bit. Uh, Ten years from now, what do you want to be doing and where do you want to be living? Oh, ten years from now, I definitely – want to be the head coach of my own program. I have those great aspirations of leading a successful team um, and hopefully to make it back out west. My boyfriend really wants to move back to California, so hopefully we can make it back out there. He loves to golf. I love to hike. So it's kind of the mix of best of both worlds for us. Sarah Livey, getting it done at St. Leo, and we'll look to follow your career, and I feel like uh, someday maybe – I'll be lucky enough to call your team as a head coach in women's soccer somewhere on some channel. Sarah Lighty, congrats on all your success, and congrats on being a member of the 30 Under 30 class. Thanks, Dean. Sarah Lighty, she was cool. She says a lot without talking a lot. I like her. I like her style and wish her well. I want to thank her and all the great guests today. I also want to thank Sean Chevrolet and Mike Knipper with United Soccer Coaches. We'll see you same time, same channel next week. For another United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by TeamSnap, I'm Dean Linke. Stay safe, everybody.